Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Desi, let's thank our Patreon subscribers from this past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we have Bunny, Ashley, Jenny, Callie, Drew, Sandy, Sandrine, Marion, Tracy, Sydney, Jean, Cynthia, Laura, Susie, Enumale, Gabrielle, Roxana, Amanda, Innes, Alexander, Jason, Stephanie, Raven, Marie, Catherine, Ofra, Jenny, Emma, Michelle, Disturbingly Pragmatic, and Sharia. Thanks, guys. Thank you all so much. So this week, my episode topic is actually a belated birthday present for our listener, Claire, who was set to have a 90s-themed slumber party that got canceled because of Omicron, and she had requested a 90s-themed episode as a little prezi. Now... I initially had some other plans, so I was like, sorry, Claire, no can do, but those fell through when I didn't get a book in time, so I looked back at her email for inspiration, and one of the subjects she requested uh, I saw had a new book about them that had recently come out, uh, and that was a book on Aaliyah. So this book came out in August, which was the 20th anniversary of her death. If you don't know Aaliyah... I don't know why. She was an actress and singer who was credited with helping to redefine contemporary R&B, pop, and hip-hop, which earned her the name um, or the nickname Princess of R&B, Queen of Urban Pop. Baby girl. Well, that's not related to her music. No, but... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for interjecting in my beautifully written intro. I'm sorry. Uh, Her music remains popular, obviously, and she has sold an estimated 24 to 32 million albums worldwide. Um, She's won many awards. She has three American Music Awards, two MTV VMAs, and five Grammy Award nominations. She is the 10th most successful female R&B artist of the past 25 years and the 27th most successful in history. A lot to have achieved in 22 short years. Yes. So the book I mentioned earlier is called Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah by Kathy Landoli. Um, This will end up being a two-parter since obviously there are two major tragedies, I would say, I guess, in Aaliyah's life that I want to give each of them my full attention. And to be honest, it's a lot (laughs) emotionally for one episode. So I feel like uh, it's good to split it up. So let's get into it. Aaliyah Dana Houghton was born on January 16th, 1979 in Brooklyn, New York to Diane and Michael Houghton, who also had a son named Rashad, which is obviously Aaliyah's older brother, whom she was very close to. 
In fact, the family was very close in general, and both of Aaliyah's parents would go on to manage her uh, later in life, not in a Kris Jenner way. Like, they truly seem like parents who are involved and, uh, you know, care about what happens to her, their daughter. Aaliyah is the feminine form of Ali, which means highest, most exalted one, the best. And the singer often said that she not only loved her name, but that she strove to live up to the meaning of her name every day. When Aaliyah was five years old, her family left Bed-Stuy and moved to Detroit. Aaliyah's family struggled financially after moving to Detroit. Um, now this is like the 80s and Detroit is still struggling to get out of, you know, recession. And they're very famous for being as particularly hit by this 80s recession. Right. But luckily, uh, Diane's brother, Barry uh, Hankerson, was an entrepreneur who had his hand in numerous businesses, including a warehouse business. And he was able to give Michael work so that Diane could stay home with the kids. He was also an entertainment lawyer with an interest in getting more involved as a producer in music as well as theater. He got into the music business through his ex-wife, Gladys Knight, who he met after producing one of her TV specials. They were married in 1974, had one son, Shanga, and a very bitter divorce in 1979. Gladys even accused Barry of trying to kidnap their son, which was related to him not turning uh, the son over in time during a custody dispute which Barry admitted to willfully disobeying. Now, despite this acrimonious divorce, Gladys still considered herself an auntie to Rashad and Aaliyah. Diane, who was also a singer and performer before marrying and having kids, noticed Aaliyah's talent for singing at the age of four. But it was at her Catholic school, Gesu Elementary, which had a serious musical theater program, that Aaliyah went beyond just humming around the house. At the age of six, she auditioned to be in the school play and was cast in Annie. She was Annie? No. Oh. <laughs> she was not Annie. She had one spoken line, though, how, however. Her one line, you're going to get the paddle, <laughs> <laughs> which is almost like as good as being Annie to come get on. that line. I mean, come on. It's a good line. So also probably one that got cut <laughs> at some point <laughs> from the play. Um, so... Diane let Aaliyah sort of drive this ambition in entertainment, and her daughter was really serious about becoming a performer. When Diane saw that this was the case, she enrolled Aaliyah in voice lessons. Aaliyah, her sound is often described as street but sweet. That's yes. like a common thing you'll see if you're read, reading about her musical style. And some attribute this to her kind of having these two roots. The beds die roots were obviously... The hip-hop movement really takes off in the 90s, uh, has that kind of vibe. And she also has this Motown influence of Detroit. Like, you know, she has that kind of breathy Diana Ross sort of quality to her voice sometimes. Um, so she starts performing at weddings, church choir, charity events. She performs Whitney Houston songs at these things, as I'm sure most girls her age <laughs> who wanted to sing would do at that time. Yeah. In addition to... Uh, performing in more school plays, including 42nd Street, where she kind of led the big number, We're in the Money, and Hello, Dolly. I don't think she had the leads in any of these, but she was very involved. In 1989, she auditioned for the role of Judy Winslow on Family Matters. Oh. But did not get the part, obviously. Yeah. Wow. So she had this performing bug, and she really wanted it, but stardom wasn't happening yet, but would not be far off for Aaliyah. 
1990, Aaliyah joined other future famous people, including Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera, as well as Beyonce, who performed with her girl group, Girl Time, T-Y-M-E, in the Star Search Losers Who Became Famous Club. So Aaliyah was obsessed with uh, Star Search. I was obsessed with Star Search. Yeah, me too. I mean, it was a great show. So she dreamed of being on it, obviously. I think a lot of people did. Uh, When she was 10, she finally got her chance. Ed McMahon introduced her as a little girl with a big voice, and she entered looking very different than her future style of baggy pants and tight tanks. She kind (laughs) of... I watched this clip. She looks like something that... It looks like something Melanie Griffith in Working Girl would wear. Does she have big shoulder pads? Yeah, she has like a white tiered floofy skirt. All oh, those tiered those skirts. Those tiered skirts with like a top and then like um, a cropped jacket on yes, top. the little bolero and it's jacket. And it's a bolero jacket. It's black and white. Yes. She has white tights on and little black Mary Jane flats. Her hair is not like a child's hair. It's like very big. Um, yeah. I mean, it was funny to see her uh, perform. She doesn't perform an R&B song. She performs my funny valentine oh it's a very theatrical performance and she in this performance she obviously has a lot of poise but she has a real child actor vibe to her still mm-hmm. at this point she's kind of mature beyond her years right but in kind of like a put on way that perhaps you know parents and adults in her life were encouraging she barely loses to returning champ katrina abrams who no one knows uh, maybe she's famous. <laughs> Some other genre that I don't know. Um, it was one of those things where it's like Katrina got four stars and Aaliyah had 3.25. Oh. You know, those. it was always frustrating, those scores. Because it's like, you know that they just, they had planned to have her lose, but they just put her just under or something. Right. Um, so she obviously is poised when she loses and breaks down in tears backstage after her defeat. Despite her loss, Aaliyah is not defeated. She hopes that maybe a record executive saw her performance on Star Search and would sign her and asked her mom every day if anyone had called. No one did. Now, although record company execs did not notice Aaliyah, her auntie Gladys did. She saw herself in young Aaliyah and was herself discovered in a popular talent show in 1952 when she was just seven years old. Now, Gladys is booked for a five-night residency at Bally's in Las Vegas. She brings her 11-year-old niece with her and they perform two numbers together, Believe in Yourself. And then actually Aaliyah gets a solo moment and she performs Home from the Wiz. I listened to that last night too. Great song. (laughs) It is good. Yeah. I always forget because there's a few songs that have Home in them. I'm always like, which one is that? And and I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Wiz. Yeah. Um, So... Gladys taught her about having stage presence because she would she would just go up and sing home and then immediately walk off stage and Gladys is like no you gotta like work the audience and right. like don't just leave this isn't like a high school talent show um, so Aaliyah credits her with um, the greatest training she ever had as far as performing and singing, singing live goes Gladys was certain they had a little star on their hand and later she would say that Aaliyah had a spark during those performances a spark the world would one day see and fall in love with. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Aaliyah is really driving this whole endeavor. Her parents and her grandmother are very supportive of Aaliyah pursuing her dreams, Um, uh, you know, obviously. And it's around this time that Aaliyah drops her surname and just starts going as Aaliyah. 
which is honestly kind of boss move for like an 11 year old to be like, I'm just a Leah now. Like, I mean, it's such a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously with a name like that, you can kind of, you can be a you one name yeah, artist. Definitely. You can't do it with like Jane. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Janes. You have to be uh, Jane. What's her last name? The one with the, the funky hair. Oh, oh, Jane. Uh, oh, I, I know. I know. I know which one Jane you're Childs. Jane Childs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, I could see her in my like head, yeah, but I can't remember her name. I don't want to fall in. Yeah, she's got like the braids. Yeah, yeah. That Teddy uh, that's Riley a very remix. '90s, um, late '80s. Look. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so another development that's happening around this time, um, she's gone from this girl who had been teased for how small she was. Obviously, Aaliyah grows to be like five seven, so she doesn't say small, but she was as a child and she got teased for that. And she's also obviously really pretty and talented. Yeah. And, you know, she's well liked, she's popular, but there's always a few little you know, jealous shits, shits uh, at that age who go after her and start uh, teasing her for whatever. Uh, she obviously learns to shrug them off. She says, you always have to deal with people who are jealous, but there were so few, it didn't really matter. The majority of kids supported me, which was wonderful. When it comes to dealing with negative people, I just let it in one ear and out the other. Those people were invisible to me. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, that's how you got to do it. Yeah. So the maturity also begins to show uh, in her looks, uh, in other ways. Now she talks about this later on in life in an interview on the late, late show with Craig Kilborn in 2000. She's 21 at the time. She jokingly describes her childhood appearance on star search. She says, I thought I should have won. I felt hot. I had on this hot little dress and Kilborn says, how old were you? She's like 10. He's like, I don't think you're supposed to be hot at 10. She laughs and overrules him. I was hot at 10. I had a little sex appeal working back then, she says. She describes having her mother photograph her for headshots as a child, saying, she said, yo, she's got this kind of sex appeal working. It comes through in the pictures and on the camera. So obviously that is very disturbing when you know the context yes. of Aaliyah's life. But that's where it kind of all starts. I started thinking about this situation and it's like, what is, it's like a chicken or egg situation. It's like, why does this happen to young girls? Is it, is it their instinct or is it because of the situation, the way the world is that makes us think at young ages that we have to be more mature? Uh, in mean, general, not just Aaliyah. I think that that's true for a lot of young girls. Of course. I they would, all want to be older. I mean, I felt the same way when I was 10. I was already trying to be sexy. Yes, because you're seeing it. And it's like I was thinking even in a deeper way that, uh, I mean, obviously I hope things change and maybe they've changed since this period somewhat. But like, so it's like younger girls all want to be up there and older women want to be down there or something. It's like, it's unfair that we all have to squeeze into this idea of what desirability is, but it starts at an, a, a very young age. Um, and it's just an interesting topic to think about, especially yeah. in entertainment where they want this innocence, but they're also kind of like, it's everything's like a knowing wink, like, you know, like, right. <laughs> it's weird. And we saw that obviously a lot with, and especially like we've talked about with Britney Spears before in the late nineties pop stars where it's like, I'm underage, but I'm also a woman and hot. I'm I, yeah. Cause there's like things like 
the countdown for the Olsen twins to turn 18. Like, yeah. So it's like, you're already thinking about it though. That's right. wrong. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you're just waiting for the, the clock to tick. Like they're still very young, even at 18, like the second they turn 18, like yeah. it's weird. So now Barry Hankerson, her uh, uncle has now moved over full time to music management. He is managing the Winans who are a very popular gospel group. He's also working with Quincy Jones, which is a pretty big deal, and he's producing theater. At the time, he is working on a Ron Milsner's gospel musical called Don't Get God Started, uh, and he's auditioning performers for his latest play. One young man is desperate to audition and tries to sneak in. As he's being carried away by security, when he he bursts into an acapella version of Amazing Grace. A star of the musical is in the vicinity of this. Her name is Chip Fields. She is Kim Fields' mom, oh. Tootie, from uh, Facts of Life. And she played Lynette Gordon on Good Times, also known as Penny's mom, the abusive mom. Penny is played by Janet Jackson. Yes. That storyline was like, dude, as a kid, when I saw, I loved Good Times. It was like <laughs> one of my favorite shows. Uh, that's a, that was like an intense storyline yeah. uh, for sure. Now, she overhears this young man singing and asks him to come back the next day to sing for Hankerson. She also gives him a script to read for a supporting part in the play. The next day he arrives, but he didn't know how to read, so instead he played his demo tape for Hankerson, who immediately knew he had a star in his hands and wanted in on this young man's career. This young man was 22-year-old Chicago native Robert Sylvester Kelly. Robert got his start in music after he dropped out of high school and began performing in Chicago's L Metro station, just like with his keyboard singing in the station and sometimes taking up to $400 a day in. So he was pretty successful at this street musician performing. He starts a group called MGM, Musically Gifted Men, and had a brush with fame early on when the group won a show called Big Break, which was a Natalie Cole-hosted Star Search ripoff. Did you ever see that show? I didn't. I didn't. I I, I didn't hear of it. So they win this contest and that that has a prize of a hundred grand and I guess gives them like a little album deal. They release a single, Why You Want to Play Me is the name of it, but it doesn't really go anywhere and the band just fights over money. Like it's like that kind of situation. Uh, So Robert meets Barry and he's desperate to get out of the contract that he's under with this uh, entity And Barry's happy to help him get out of that one. So he helps him get out of that contract and slides him into an exclusive managed contract with Barry in 1990. That summer, Barry introduces him to the A&R guy from Jive Records, and he brokers a deal signing R. Kelly now to Jive. In 1991, while R. Kelly is working on his debut album with his group Public Announcement, it's called Born Into the 90s, Barry brings in his 12-year-old niece to sing for him. Aaliyah tells Vibe in 1984, I sang for him and he really liked my sound. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) R. Kelly very quickly starts creating a buzz as a performer and producer and songwriter, basically. And Barry is hoping he can leverage his connection to R. Kelly to land his niece a contract with Jive. But they're like, she's not proven. She's too young. They're really not interested despite that. When that fails, Barry starts his own label, Blackground Records in 1993. And his flagship artist, 14-year-old Aaliyah, starts working on her debut record, 
Age Ain't Nothing But a Number with R. Kelly producing and writing the entire album. Let's take a break and we'll get into the album when we get back. Okay. Okay. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. First, I'm going to give a little context of where R. Kelly is with his career before we get into the album. She starts... Well, by the time they start recording, R. Kelly and his group Public Announcement have released their album. That's a minor success and has kind of put them on the New Jack swing scene. Like uh, that, at that time, it's kind of led by Jodeci. R. Kelly wants uh, more, though. He wants to have that Casey Haley sex appeal thing uh, that he doesn't feel like he's getting enough attention uh, being part of this group. He decides to go solo. In November of 93, while he starts working on Aaliyah, he drops 12 Play, 12 Play, his solo album, which is a massive hit. Like, yeah. uh, it gives him his first number one single, Bump and Grind. Uh, and it really sort of jumpstarts this idea of R. Kelly as this sexual dynamo. Right. And he sort of establishes his look, his signature look, which is ba- um, baggy black denim, shades, a vest with nothing on underneath, and his cane. Uh, on the album cover, the cane even has a mirror on on it, which is used to look under women's skirts. So that's funny. <laughs> like that was acceptable, I guess. Then that he has this thing, which is just like creepy. Like, well, yeah, especially in hindsight, you're like, in hindsight, Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of this stuff in hindsight is awful, but it's like it's pretty bad in uh, for like <laughs> the sight of the day. <laughs> like, it's kind of shocking. Yeah, how much stuff kind of lets you know, slides in this case in particular. Um, So the music on the album is very sexually, I don't even want to say suggestive, it's aggressive. Uh, He portrays himself as a lover who knows what women want. And that translates into his live performances, which are very horny. Like it is, it is like sex personified. Uh, So this wild success makes it even more of a get for Barry that he has R. Kelly producing Aaliyah's record. Um, so he's a certified hit maker at this point. He is a 27 year old horn dog producing a record for a 14 year old girl. What could possibly go wrong in this situation? I guess he's 26 that here. So <sighs> Aaliyah, I mean, just to put a context, he's doing this. Aaliyah is a freshman in high school. She is at the Detroit high school for uh, fine and performing arts, which is kind of like Detroit's version of the fame school. She's Young, she's like she's a little a teen. She's a kid, and she's hooked up with R. Kelly. Barry finally has this leverage he needs, and they sign a distribution deal for the album with Jive. So the album would take nine months to record. It starts in um, early '93, but she's in school, so they they can't really kind of focus in on things a hundred percent. But the summer of '93, that's where the bulk of um, the work on the album starts happening. She spends two months in Chicago with R. Kelly, 
they record at Chicago Recording Company, whereas he where he will one day record, I believe I can fly. So that's like his home base. And they spend a lot of time together. Like this is like you could do a montage of them going bowling, going to the roller rink, hanging out, going to movies, going to dinner. Like they're together all time. He says this is under it's under the guise of research. Like I need to get in the head of a teen girl to write for a teen girl. No, it's you like, don't. no, this is grooming. <laughs> like, yeah. This is not like research. Like, right. Uh, like he, he goes so far as to like even like eavesdrop on her conversations with friends oh. under the guise of like learning how they speak and da 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 da. Like, but it's like when you're, when you're hearing this, you're just like, my God, like what the hell like is going on here? It's, it's like it's incredible sick. that people were sort of not, they, I, I saw like an interview cause I watched some of the, our um, surviving R Kelly documentary and it was like, someone was like, who could ever think that an adult man would try to have sex with a 14 year old girl? I was like, where, where have you been? Like, right. like, uh, I could think of it. Like, right. I mean, it must be nice to never think that that could happen, but like, my God. So, um, Yeah. The promotional copy of the album features a picture of Aaliyah with her hands on R. Kelly's head. Like he's like all over this album. He's on the fucking cover of the album. Yeah. Um, the caption on the back says written and produced by R. Kelly, especially for Aaliyah. And specially is intentionally misspelled. Like it's like he can't just be a producer. No. He has to be like on the album, like yes. a star too. When the album is released in May of 94, the cover features Aaliyah and her now signature look. And in the background, slightly out of focus, is R. Kelly staring at lurking. her. Like lurking in the background. I have no idea why anyone thought that was a good idea. And he's obviously wearing his vest with his cane. Uh, a Jive executive at the time described the album as basically an R. Kelly record, but with a little girl singing. It's like, well, well that's a you, bad combination. <laughs> Excuse you, me. Did you just hear yourself? Yeah. So now, as I mentioned, the point of R. Kelly spending all that time with her was so he could write songs about young love and growing up. But if you know the album, it obviously has a way more mature quality and the vibe is definitely more rebelling against your age than embracing it. Even though they have some diary elements to it, like she's writing in her Lisa Frank journal, it's like, uh, it's not the, it's not an innocent vibe at all. Yeah, There are sprinkles of innocence, but the ratio of mature to innocent should have been flipped. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's uh, not a very innocent album. There are elements of summer love, flirting, uh, gaining confidence, but it takes a much darker turn when you realize the inspiration is a a 14-year-old girl and a 26-year-old man. Aaliyah thanks R. Kelly in the credits, calling him her mentor, best friend, and producer. Now, this album has a lot of red flags. It's kind of bewildering that it didn't set off more alarm bells when when it was dropped, but for whatever reason... I don't know if you want to say the times or whatever. And I might just be more sensitive to this stuff because it happened to me. So when I see things like that, I'm immediately like, whoa, even right. as a child, I was like, what the hell? Like, is I mean, this legal? Like, <laughs> I think also like the music, you know, that from this album is so good. It's like a lot well, of people don't want to think a bad thing about it. And I think um, in my experience, at least, I... At the time, I think I thought Aaliyah was older. 
I think I thought she was more like 18. Yeah. Like, I don't think I knew a lot about her age. I mean, I knew she was young, but yeah. I guess I just thought that, I mean, 18 is young. Like, yeah, yeah. So as I said before, he's all over the album. There is a song called Back and Forth, and he's saying things like, let me see you go back, let me see you go forth, which obviously coming from R. Kelly has like a very sexual undertone to it, but that's not all. He also says, and no one uh, knows how to love me like you do, Leah, you're the only one for me, which is fucking creepy. Like, why does he? Why does he got to say that? Why is he on it all the time? It's like get your fucking fingers out of everything. Like, why didn't they get one of the kids from another bad creation to sing seriously? It with her? So he literally can't help himself turning everything sexual, which obviously I kind of get, but I'm not a predator, so it's not as bad. <laughs> Uh, in the song, I'm so into you, cheeky banter turns into Aaliyah saying, take control of me, fulfill my fantasies. I mean, this girl is 14 recording this stuff. That's just inappropriate. I mean, you'd have to agree, right? Like, Yeah, but I uh, also want to not, obviously, we're not pl- placing any blame on Aaliyah. Oh. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm obviously, I, we have to clear clear that up because everyone's insane today. But like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll make a disclaimer. Aaliyah is not to blame for any of this. And I feel that way about every underage child yes. uh, in general. So don't come at me. Uh, <laughs> um, so, and I'm going to get more into that whole thing later. Not, um, so obviously the title track, look, I don't have to clear this, that, this up for you. The song is basically a young girl pining for the love of, of an older man. Man, uh, it's all about society you know, the age doesn't matter, we're in love kind of stuff, tale as old as time. Uh, Aaliyah says in the song, all you got to do is knock and I'll let you in. So she's portrayed as the instigator in this situation, which will uh, carry through in real life. Um, So she says things like, tonight we're going to go all the way, which... She she prefaces with sort of a taunt, like be brave, like almost like she's telling the guy, like, oh come on, like we're gonna go all the way, like you just need to be brave and stand up. Once again, making her the instigator in this situation. Remember, this is written by R. Kelly, right? So it's like he's absolving himself in the situation through the song and making Aaliyah say it. Right? It's so sick. This line actually gets a kids' bop makeover at some point, uh, where she says, "Cause tonight we're gonna go go chill around the way." <laughs> Instead of go all the way, um, what, did they do that? No, for, no, no, no. I, it's not. Kids Bop never did this. No, no, no. I mean, oh. did, who, who? I on every version I've heard, it says because tonight we're going to go all the way. I guess for live performances, it got oh. switched at some point. Oh. So the song contains, um, as well as like just a side note, it contains an interpolation uh, from the song "What You Won't Do for Love" by Bobby Caldwell. Yeah, it says, "I got a thing for you, and I won't let and go." I won't let go. Yeah, she, they have. Aaliyah gets sued for this later on. What? And not R. Kelly. And she has to, they eventually give him credit, uh, I guess, on future albums. But yeah, she sued, even though R. Kelly wrote the song. I, I mean, this is just a theme that happens that's really infuriating yeah. as we go along. So again, maybe this stuff just didn't ring any predator bells back then, but it's disturbing, Uh for sure, looking back. Um, so people love the album. The album debuts at number 24 on the Billboard chart. It sells 38,000 copies in its first week. It ultimately peaks at number 18 on Billboard and sells over 3 million copies. It is certified platinum two times. Uh, so it, it also is critically uh, f- reviewed critically favorably. Critically reviewed 
no, I don't know. It's <laughs> it gets critically acclaimed claim as well. So writers do note her silky vultry, um, vocals, her sultry voice. Um, they like that it's blended with his more uh, rough beats and the, his new, like his more raunchy stuff. That's like things that people compliment. Um, and it really helps define R&B in the 90s. So R. Kelly also takes control over every aspect of Aaliyah's image, down to what she wears, giving her a look that, as I mentioned, I guess her music is described as female R. Kelly. Her look is as well. Yeah. So at this time, at this time, he uh, he gives her that signature look: the tight cropped shirts, the baggy jeans, the dark shades. Um, he even shows up in her first music videos. Like he's just around everywhere. Hanging out with the kids, watching his protege. Like, it's like, why are you in the high school gym (laughs) watching Aaliyah dance or like whatever? It's like, it's just shocking to me. Um, Cola Walker, Kimya Warfield Range, and April Walker of famed heritage lifestyle brand Walker Wear are brought in as image consultants for Aaliyah, but they quickly realize that R. Kelly is the ultimate decision maker. They're brought in to style her back and forth video that's filming in LA. And they meet R. Kelly for the first time at this L.A. meeting. And he pretty much presents his vision uh, for Aaliyah. He calls it the girl from around the way in Chicago is right. his like vision. Obviously, Aaliyah is from Detroit yeah. and maybe Brooklyn, if you want to count that. Uh, so everything is like him. Like yeah. It's what he wants or what he wants for himself for Aaliyah. They quickly realize they need to please R. Kelly by dressing Aaliyah as a female R. Kelly. And this is successful for them. He loves everything they bring in when they kind of use that MO. Uh, They show up in a meeting for R. Kelly, and he has an item that he wants Aaliyah to wear that he had custom made for her. This is um, a vest, an R. Kelly style vest, and on the back has a license plate uh, that says Leah. It's an Illinois license plate. this the girls from <laughs> Walker Wear are like what like this is ugly <laughs> like and they're kind of like no this is not Aaliyah's style this looks like shit it it has a bad vibe like it connotates ownership like she's like a a piece of property to you like right. the whole thing is fucked up despite their protest Aaliyah is adamant that she wears this uh, license plate vest I mean I think it's on the back yeah um, of the album. Uh, He wants her to wear it in this video, like whatever. So they began filming the video in LA on Aaliyah's 15th birthday. And the next day, the Northridge earthquake happens. Holy shit. That happens on January 16th, I think. Um, So obviously filming stops. R. Kelly is really traumatized by this earthquake and sleeps in his car. He's like really afraid. Um, but the, going back to work after this obviously makes everyone a little on edge, and it's a, obviously an intense uh, experience. The earthquake was really huge, yeah. if you don't know. Um, so another aspect making the filming intense is the palpable, inappropriate chemistry that's happening between R. Kelly and Aaliyah. Cola Walker speaks of R. Kelly watching Aaliyah have her makeup done, rubbing her back the whole time and telling her how beautiful she is while she's having her makeup and hair done. Anytime Aaliyah is asked a question about some kind of creative direction, she responds, whatever Robert says. Um, Cola is particularly disturbed by the fact that the pair wear matching um, tracksuits all the time, something she describes as a Chicago thing that couples did. 
And Kimya said her and Cola were pretty sure there was something more going on than just mentorship and friendship. And that while she wasn't thinking about it all the time, when the story broke that it was real, she was not shocked at all. So Kimya and Cola also said that they were hired immediately after this video um, stopped shooting for R. Kelly's next music video. And they felt like it was um, an intentional move on his part to keep them quiet. Like, you'll keep getting work. Right. If you if you fucking shut up, like, and it was like they felt weird about uh, that sort of move on his part. I think there's also this dynamic of people, or some people, I guess, assume because a child is a professional performer and is you know making money and and they have a career that it still it negates the fact that they're still a kid. Yeah, and. I'm definitely also, once again, not placing any blame on these women, but it is sort of an indictment of the entertainment industry as a whole. No one really knows who's responsible to protect these kids in a way. Obviously, the parents ultimately are, and I'm not blaming them either because R. Kelly is a predator. He's the predator here. Um, But there also is this sort of um, incentive to stay quiet because you want to work and you don't want to be frozen out. Now, these... These women are eventually frozen out of working with Aaliyah because of this connection to R. Kelly. Uh, and yeah. So it's um, more than just people who work for them, however, um, that notice this inappropriate closeness. This is a topic of question whenever they go anywhere together. And they're being interviewed a lot together during this period because they're promoting the album. So they'll show up at these interviews dressed alike. Uh, they love to wear Looney Tunes themed stuff during that was, this period. That was big. That, <laughs> that was, was big, really ben. big. There was a lot of. There, I just remember in this time period, there was a lot of like baggy pants with like a little fucking like Tasmanian. That's devil. what they did. Like or, they or, love the Tasmanian devil, and they had necklaces. Yes, but they would switch, which is also creepy. It's like why you share necklaces, like that <laughs> kind of stuff. And they also, I mean, in another interesting turn, would wear Pepe Le Pew, <laughs> famous rapist skunk. <laughs> Uh, so looking back, um, I thought this was interesting in the book. They do a lot of code switching, uh, in these interviews. So if you don't know what code switching is, it's kind of modifying your personality to fit whatever situation in. Everyone does it to some extent. It's based on a lot of different things. Women might try to appear more, um, masculine to be strong. Like it's just, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to me. So like Aaliyah, for instance, uh, would code switch between innocent ingenue and knowing minx. R. Kelly code switches from grown mentor to boyish sidekick. And this wavering maturity on both of their parts kind of gives the illusion that there isn't much age difference between the pair. Like it's like, it's like, I don't think they were planning it. It was just instinctual on both of their parts to kind of not give in, giving the idea that they're, and Aaliyah is very, uh, at this point, She's kind of coy about her age. She doesn't really mention it until she turns 16, like officially, even though obviously it's probably easy to figure out. So um, YSB Magazine uh, talks about their um, relationship. The two are obviously close. It's no wonder they were thought to be cousins, not very 90s, not there. Um, Everybody uh, at a video, I'm sorry, BET Video Soul Gold awards they show up together in matching outfits sherry carter is like the person on the red carpet she says everybody seems to think that y'all are either girlfriend and boyfriend or cousins or friends let's get the record straight 
R. Kelly pantomimes getting hot under the collar, <gasps> that move, and he says, oh, I better go get my white Jeep, which is a reference to O.J. Simpson, which right. just happened. And he's like, uh-oh. Like, that's his goof-ass move <laughs> when asked this question. And of course, Aaliyah... I mean, in a way, she is more mature, but not in the way that counts. Like, she's like, no, we're not related at all. We're just very close. This is my best friend in the whole wide world. Right. So she kind of gives a more, uh, you know, point, uh, sort of of poised answer. Now, later, she asks Aaliyah how old she is. And like I said, she refuses to say her age during this red carpet interview. Do you think R. Kelly instructed her to not talk about that she was like, I'm 14, I'm 15? I... I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Like, let's keep it... And maybe for for career's sake, like, kind of positioned her in that way. So, look, this dynamic of older men and much younger women in the music, and sometimes girls, in the music industry is not, like, anything new. Right. Like, this has been happening forever Elvis married a teenager basically and everyone's like look at the wedding pictures yeah. it's like she's 14 like <laughs> right um so like also at this this period you have boy bands like in their 20s singing love songs to to preteen girls like there's this whole fuzzy dynamic happening at all times in the entertainment industry in particular the music industry it's like people are always told not to say you have a boyfriend or that you're married like yeah. there's all of this stuff happening um, I mean, let me be clear once again, there's no fuzziness in my mind that this relationship is inappropriate regardless of what was happening at the time. So, I mean, even like, let's take her age out of it <laughs> for a second. It's unprofessional and predatory, even if he's doing this for other artists he's working for. Like, he should not be, you know what I mean? Like, it's like these people are coming into the industry, looking up to these people. Yeah. I mean, it's not illegal, but there's like, predatory behavior when it's like like think about Tommy Mottola and Mariah Carey like yes. she wasn't underage but she needed this man with all this power to help her career it's a power dynamic that is sort of fucked up or can be fucked up and we will do an episode on 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 Mariah Carey in, oh totally in the future. shout out to uh, <laughs> sh- shout out to friend of the pod Sonia oh yeah we talked about that recently yeah so uh, yeah so it's like read a book like <laughs> I can't get into all the psychology behind it, but it's like a lot. So, and I want to make clear, they're definitely in a sexual relationship at this point. Like if you're not clear on that matter, it's, it is true. Like, right. uh, and on August 31st, 1994, less than like a month after that BET interview, 15 year old Aaliyah secretly marries 27 year old R. Kelly at a Sheraton hotel in Illinois. Now, Aaliyah uses a forged birth certificate that says she's 18 to avoid getting parental uh, permission, which she would not have gotten. It is also alleged later that R. Kelly bribed a government official to get this fake ID for Aaliyah to get this birth certificate. So rumors are swirling about this marriage before it's officially known. Like, I mean, just the relationship in general right. uh, creates a lot of... Um, content for right. mag- for magazines uh, at the time. Jamie Foster Brown, who uh, in a 1994 issue of Sister to Sister wrote that R. Kelly told me that he and Aaliyah got together and it was just magic. He also reported hearing about a sexual relationship between them. I've been hearing about Robert and Aaliyah for a while. Um, he thinks that the reason this marriage happened was that she was pregnant. Now, this is a thing that a lot of people say uh, later on in life. 
like, I'm sorry, later on in, in time, like in the 2000s. Yeah. So uh, he said, you know, at the time she's coming in and out of his house. People are seeing him, her walk his dog, 12 play. Uh, she has her baseball cap and sunglasses on. Every time I ask the label, they say it's platonic, but I keep hearing complaints from people about her being in the studio with all those men. He says at 15, you have all those hormones and no brains attached to them. I mean, R. Kelly has no brains too. <laughs> He's 27. So he goes on to suggest that R. Kelly and Aaliyah might just be a good match because Aaliyah has a mature mind and Robert is just a big kid. No. Like, this is no, that's, sickening. That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not a maturity match. And like, why are women always having to <laughs> suffer with big boys? Like, <laughs> it's so gross. In his 2000 book, The Man Behind the Man, Looking from the inside out, Demetrius Smith Sr., who is Kelly's former tour manager, he also says that uh, Kelly married Aaliyah after she told him she was pregnant. According to him, Aaliyah called Kelly when he was touring in Miami to tell him she thought she might be pregnant. Kelly consults his lawyer and accountant, both both of whom tell him that he should marry Aaliyah. Uh, at Kelly's 2021 trial, a Jane Doe testifies that Kelly went through with the wedding so that he could legally give Aaliyah permission to get an abortion since she would need her parents' um, permission to access one at the time. So that's basically what they're saying he did it for, which is, ugh, like, I guess, like, she's obviously can get an abortion. I'm fine with that. But for him to kind of like control it in that way is just like disgusting to me. Yeah. Um, So in the 2019 documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, um, he also describes, uh, Smith also describes how he he said that he's the one who helped Aaliyah get those forged documents uh, to to say she was 18, and he said he's not proud of his role in doing that. Good. Um, So in December of 1994, Aaliyah is giving interviews and whenever she's asked if she's married to R. Kelly, she urges them to not believe all the rumors, don't believe all that mess. She and R. Kelly are just close and people are taking everything the wrong way. Uh, Once again, I'm not blaming Leah for her statements uh, at all. But a a music journalist for MTV at the time, Touré, he writes for um, Rolling Stone and like he's a very famous music journalist. He doesn't take their word for it. He calls the Cook County Clerk's office and gets a copy of the marriage license that clearly states they were married and that uh, Aaliyah had lied about her age or whoever lied about her age. Kurt Loder breaks the story in December of 94. Jive Magazine follows. They print the forged documents and they make it their cover story for December, January issue. Another revelation, Robert had been claiming, R. Kelly had been claiming publicly that he was two years younger than he actually was. So he was saying he was 25 publicly, but he's actually 27. Not that 25, 14 makes it any better. But he was trying. But he was also saying he was younger. Like, so it's just a mess. Now, this marriage gets annulled by her parents in February of 1995. And the pair kind of like deny everything. Like Aaliyah we'll spend the next few years denying that this happened when people ask her about the marriage. Uh, she, she kind of will be vague sometimes. And sometimes she out and out says, no, I was never married. Like, I mean, but it's all sort of like, I'm sure just getting through it. I mean, I'm not going to get into this, this episode, but next episode, this is more than just an inappropriate, uh, you know, statutory rape situation. R. Kelly is an abusive man, and to Aaliyah as well. Like right. it's not just these women coming forward in the documentary, but uh, yeah. So 
initially the family is kind of like, oh, this was a bad idea. This is just two kids who got in over their head. Um, one family member says, we just thought this guy is stupid. He's like a big, dumb 15 year old himself. It was just like, how dumb can you be boy? Like, so, so they're really taking it on that level initially. Um, but not long after the marriage ended, the people closest to Aaliyah definitely start changing their mind about R. Kelly being a harmless dipshit. Like, right. They're like something more sinister is happening. Yes. So Aaliyah's mom she is crying like a lot. She uh, believes her daughter's life was ruined by R. Kelly oh. at this time. She's fearful that Aaliyah's life will never be the same after that. And Aaliyah takes the blame for this at the oh. time. Uh, so there's an article from US Today, USA Today that says, just how old is newlywed Aaliyah? The article goes on to warn of all the consequences Aaliyah could suffer from lying about her age on these documents. So they're blaming her for this. They say if she's 15, there are some problems. The state says she has to be at least 16 with parents' consent. She can go to jail, but it lists no potential consequences for Kelly's action in this situation. There is a Vibe article that the one that broke the story about the marriage. Um, it says Aaliyah is presented sort of as so young, but she's also a wicked temptress. Te- temptress. temptress. Um, and, you know, she's actually more mature than Kelly. Like that is definitely a vibe that's happening. Uh, the Vibe article also says, obviously performers have been lying about their ages since the dawn of time, but that's show business, smoke and mirrors, mics and sound checks. Marriage, however, is something else. If Aaliyah and R. Kelly... Kelly's marriage is real, then her pseudo Lolita image becomes real. And R. Kelly's sex man image gets a little bit murkier. Um, Another person writes that uh, this is from ID magazine. It's tantalizing to imagine Aaliyah as a beautiful Lolita trapped by a scandalously doomed romance. It adds to the thrill of hearing her love songs. So for a long time, this relationship is framed as a forbidden love story. Right. When the reality is it's a story of abuse. Um, the author of the book, Kathy Landoli, she says there, theirs wasn't a love story that defied the ages. It was a tragedy that Aaliyah had to endure and somehow move past to become an icon in her own right without him. Now, along with this um, annulment, like how they got the annulment was that Aaliyah had to sign an NDA. And mm-hmm. this will become something that R. Kelly uses continuously to shut up women basically yeah. uh, throughout his uh, you know, for, throughout the, the upcoming years after post Aaliyah um, NDA, NDA should not be allowed to, <laughs> for situations like this. Yeah. Like I get it if you're protecting your IP or like whatever. Um, but to, to, to like shut up victims, yeah. there's just something wrong here. She cuts off all ties with R Kelly professionally. She leaves jive records and <sighs> I mean, another thing to think about here is I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but it's like people start using this album to indict Aaliyah. Right. Even though R. Kelly is the person who wrote everything on it. They're calling her a temptress. Yes. And R. Kelly's people attempt to claim that he didn't know her age. But there's video of him when he starts working with her saying, I have a, I'm working with a new young talent, 14-year-old Aaliyah. So he clearly knows how old she is. Right. I mean, as if there's any doubt. Um, so Aaliyah is ground zero career wise after this, despite having this hugely popular album. Um, 
And R. Kelly is pretty much unscathed by this scandal, I guess you can call it at the time. Yeah. So (laughs) post all of this, Kelly gets his first Grammy nominations. His um, 1995 self-titled album goes quadruple platinum. Meanwhile, Aaliyah's picture is shown at a 1995 Soul Train Awards and the audience boos. (gasps) Yes. The scandal of their marriage is considered her fault. She's the little girl who tempted this grown man into doing something so horrible and she's the one to blame. Her cousin, Blackground Records executive Jomo Hankerson, says Aaliyah got villainized. That's what made the transition to her second album difficult. It was hard for us to get producers on the album. She was 16 and 17 at the time of the second album, and I just didn't understand why they were upset with Baby Girl. Aaliyah had just gotten started with her career, and now it seemed like it was all over. I mean, it would take three years for her next single to come out. Right. So... Next week, we will get more into her post-R. Kelly career, her tragic death, and the revelations that finally come out about her relationship with R. R. Kelly, um, stuff that is in Surviving R. Kelly, as well as like interviews with Damon Dash, who she dates later on in life, um, and things we find out at her at R. Kelly's trial, because she is listed as a Jane Doe uh, in this trial. Uh, I also wanted to add this, uh, just in case you were wondering... At some point, I'm sure we will cover R. Kelly. That will be like 100 parts probably um, based on what I've already seen. But I felt like it was important to separate Aaliyah's story as much as possible from R. Kelly's crimes. <laughs> like, I don't want to combine those. Obviously, he's a part of her story, but I just wanted to limit it. Uh, so that's why I'm not like tagging them all together. Um, so yeah, let's just focus on her life and what happened to her. And we'll do him at some other point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Wow, Desi, that was great. I'm excited to hear next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Aaliyah. Yeah, so this is exciting. I'm sure we'll have lots of good picks. I'll let you. <sighs> we will do that. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do that. All right. Okay. We will do our after show now, and we'll see you at the mini episode. Bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.